Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers podcast. We release podcasts here, in part and in full, on the Joy of Sunflowers website. The Joy of Sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss. We cover a range of topics including fertility, pregnancy after loss and so much more. I speak with a range of people including wellness professionals, medical experts and beautiful mamas. The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please introduce yourself a little bit more. Hi, Ella. My name is Eric Atstepenis, and I'm absolutely honored to be here. Um, my wife and I have had a very long journey to... Uh, to become pregnant. Um, our infertility journey has, has pretty much taken up most of our thirties. And, um, unfortunately we, we still have not brought home a living child, uh, but we're, we're really, um, active members of both the infertility community and the lost community. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be here to share and to offer the perspective of, of a partner and to offer the perspective of, uh, of a male. Um, so to the extent I can do that, I'm happy to answer any questions you have, Ella. Wonderful. Yeah, it's so important as well to to get that perspective because I think often the the partner, the the male is just kind of forgotten in terms of like you I mean you went through it too. You went through that trauma and you went through that that loss. So I think it's so great to be able to talk to men and actually have you guys share those stories. So thank you for joining me. Um, thank you. So let's start from the very beginning. Um, mm -hmm. Always want to be a dad or was it something that you sort of moved towards? So I would say I've always known that I wanted to be a dad, but I guess I wasn't really sure on the timing of it. So I think my wife and I were on a little bit different um, paths timing wise. I think she thought um, immediately after we're married, we're going to start trying. And I was more like, well, maybe let's hold off for a little bit. Let's, you know, go do some traveling. And then, you know, when we want to start trying, then naturally it'll just occur, right? Like that's, that's how we learn about <laughs> reproduction growing up is that, you know, you try and it happens. So I was unaware of the, you know, one in eight, um, families that, that go through infertility. And, uh, so I was on, I was more of the, Hey, let's just slow our roll, take our time and get into it when we get into it. But I always knew I wanted to be a dad and I still really want to be a dad to a living child. And it's still something that's very much a driving force for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's very interesting when you get that dynamic where there's like, Oh, I want one. Oh, we can wait, you know? And it's one right. of those things, you know, and obviously in our society, we're told you can have kids whenever, you know, especially like as a man as well. Like they're like, yeah, well, you just keep producing. So you're good to whenever, you know? And I think it really is this misconception that we're sort of trained to believe. Um, it is. Yeah. So, so uh, where did you go from there? Like when did you sort of realize, okay, now is the time let's try now. Sure. So we had, we had taken a trip to Ireland and we decided on that trip, we were going to start trying. That was kind of like our first time. And um, I remember leaving that trip thinking we've done it. Like we're going to come back. We're going to be pregnant and how cool we will have conceived our child in Ireland where we both have some, um, some roots from our family. So we just thought that was really kind of cool. 
And then it didn't happen. And it didn't happen month after month after month after month. And um, then we started trying uh, different ovulation kits, tried timing it out. Um, and, you know, this is something that, you know, as a as somebody going through infertility, I don't we really don't talk about this a lot, but the excitement of creating life turned into work and it turned into like a task and it became tedious. It became trying to time things out and make sure everything lined up. So it took, it takes a lot of the romance out of, out of the process and it, it creates a lot of, um, a lot of difficulty. And I just remember going through that time and time again, going through each month, not getting the result that we wanted. And finally we started thinking about, hey, maybe something else is going on. Maybe we need to go talk to a reproductive endocrinologist. And we did. Um, and I remember sitting down and they talked about IUIs and I was like, okay, so that's how it's going to happen. Great, no problem. Um, and that didn't happen. And I remember going to, there was a conference by Resolve here in New England. That's a great organization that provides um, a lot of infertility support for, for fellow couples across, uh, across this entire region. And I remember sitting there, we... We were just starting, you know, we had just kind of started in the IVF journey and thinking to myself, like, okay, we're going to be, we're going to be bringing home a living child anytime. Like it's got to happen. It's got to happen, you know? Um, and that was many years ago. And we kept going the route of IVF. We've bounced around to a couple different clinics. Um, we're in a unique position where, um, my wife has diminished ovarian reserve and, um, my sperm don't exactly do what they're supposed to do and aren't, they have different morphology and whatnot. So it's a two factor uh, infertility. So it's kind of hard to say like what exactly is or is not working. Um, so when we do get eggs, we do use ICSI to try to uh, maximize the amount of embryos we get, but we, we just don't really end up getting a lot of embryos. Um, so we've, we've been working with kind of going through this journey for for quite a while, um, trying different clinics, trying to see what works with us, trying to find uh, healthcare providers that resonate with with us and, um, and are willing to hear us, willing to uh, see us for who we are in light of our journey that we've gone through and particularly in light of our loss. And so the, uh, the fight continues, <laughs> the fight continues to bring home a living child and, you know, willing one of these days <laughs> we will, so. Yeah. Um, how, uh, did you get your diagnosis, uh, with your male factor and, and how have you sort of dealt with that? Sure. Yeah. So I remember several years back, I had to go see, um, a urologist. They, when we're going through infertility treatments, they're trying to figure out what is it that could potentially be prohibiting or, um, restricting our ability to get pregnant. So, uh, I remember them saying, Hey, we, you need to produce a sample. We're going to take a look at a look at the sample. And I had to go to a urologist office for that. And she asked a whole bunch of questions, but ultimately once she did a study of the sperm, she found that it was just, um, it was, there was problems with morphology, they call it, which is just like maybe they'll have two heads or two tails or the body doesn't look the way it's supposed to. Um, I joke around and I say they're like goldfish and they just chase their tail and swim around in circles. So they're pretty, but that's my way of dealing with it. Um, from my perspective, you know, as a, as a guy, right? Like one of the things you think of as a young man growing up is like, this is, 
This is your part of your purpose, right? And why, why is it that I can't do this the way that I'm supposed to? And I know my partners had similar thoughts from her perspective. I have thoughts, those thoughts from my perspective. And I also have those thoughts from the perspective of like the dad to a child who's no longer here that I'm supposed to be a provider. I'm supposed to be the protector. I'm supposed to be all those things that Western culture teaches us we're supposed to be, regardless of whether or not that's true and regardless of whether or not that's healthy for us. It, we, it kind of throws us into an identity crisis is what I like to think of, because all of the things that you think you're supposed to do, you're not necessarily able to. And being able to accept that is something that takes some work. It takes a lot of talking. It takes a lot of sharing. It, it also takes a lot of working with other members in the community and realizing that you're not alone. Like seeing other people wearing the shirts that say one in seven or one in eight, you know, knowing that they're going through a similar struggle makes you feel like it's not just me. Because before this journey, we never heard about this before. And that's why I think it's so important and I really tip my hat to you, Ella, for doing this because it's so important to have this conversation and to let people know across the world that there's nothing wrong with you. There's there's nothing wrong. Unfortunately, this is just a crappy journey that some of us have to go through in order to bring home living children, but there's nothing wrong. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I was just talking to Jill about this sort of same thing in terms of that, we, you know, we're told that we can have anything as long as we work hard and right. we we do all the things uh, we will get the desired outcome and mm-hmm. you know that's simply not the case every time mm-hmm. and and i think yeah having that in your head and having it pumped in there it is like an identity crisis of well but i worked hard but i did the things but i ticked the boxes exactly um, it yeah just drives you crazy. I like the goldfish thing. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Thank you. <laughs> I like it. I like to turn to humor in order to rationalize things sometimes. So that's how I think about it. Exactly. So. I mean, look, I mean, a lot of the time, I, I, this is like a running thing that I, I say a lot, you know, if we don't laugh, we'll cry. So Right. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've been pretty shocked at the things that I've managed to laugh about with people and yeah, it's it is what it is. We all kind it of is. understand each other, and I think that's kind of the the beauty and the ugliness of this uh, experience that we can smile and laugh about things that maybe other people are like, huh? Mm. Like you can't laugh about that. What are you doing? Sure, um, you can absolutely. Yeah. And how? I mean, how interesting of a of a dichotomy is that, right? It's just both so beautiful and so ugly in the same time. And we can hold that space and we can appreciate that. And we can also laugh about some of these things. And um, we, we have a few of our fellow lost parent friends that we, oh my goodness, if people are around, I'm sure I, I can't imagine what they're thinking when we're laughing at some of the things we're laughing at, but I mean, yeah. you have to, you have to rationalize it somehow. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. My, my husband's even like made some, made some jokes and things like about, things that you shouldn't joke about like in normal conversation and and I'm just like that was terrible and he goes I know I'm not going to share it with anyone like I don't even know where it came in my head from like so bad it just happens yeah <laughs> but yeah I'm I'm glad that we're not the only ones that that do that um, oh no not at all <laughs> oh it's terrible 
Um, so let's let's go into um, your sort of experience um, all the way up until um, Hadley, which your wife sort of told me was your um, child who passed away. So yes. yeah, so let's let's go through um, the treatments and the and the fertility stuff um, mm. and, and sort of what that was like. She was saying that you gave her shots. Well done, good for you. <laughs> I love I love it when the dads do it, you know. I'm just like, that's so lovely, you know, because I definitely would be one of those, like, I'm covering my eyes. Just don't tell me when you're doing it. Like <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at an unfair advantage because I'm a I have I've I have type one diabetes. So I'm used to giving my shot myself shots all the time. So I was like, oh fine, I could do your shots. No worries. It's all good. <laughs> you know what? That's that's amazing. Cause I I I was saying to my husband, I was like, I don't know if I would trust you to stick me with a needle. Mm. But the fact that you already stick yourself, that that would mean that would have given her some comfort you know she's like oh you're successful with your own so you should be fine with my needles I will say I'm very happy with the size of my needles as compared to hers because hers are much much bigger and especially once we get into like progesterone and oil I'm like I'm sorry I would have passed out so I I'm I have no problem giving this to you (laughs) but this is not something I could take so (laughs) just yet another another time that as a partner i'm sitting there saying yeah as a dude i couldn't be dealing with this <laughs> so props to all the ladies out there that do this because it is uh yeah it's it's brutal it really is it's and it's unfair yeah so many dads have actually said to me like she's she's the strong one she's the rock she like yeah and i've been told that like the ones that go in the butt are really big they are they're they're obscenely huge and uh, the gauge of the needle is awful. And then the liquid is very viscous because it's an oil. So you really have to press down hard to get the oil in. And from like an anatomy perspective, it's just separating all the little muscle fibers in. Yeah, it's terrible. And then you try to essentially, it's like doing like chest compressions on the butt trying to smooth out the oil or try to like move it throughout the muscles. So it's not all bunched up in one spot. And then she'll sit on a heating pad for like an hour or something. It's awful. It's absolutely terrible. So yeah, I just from the person doing the shot, uh, I, yeah, greatest respect to my, my wife. She, she is like you said, uh, yes, she is a strong one. I also say she's, she's a smart one. Um, but she's absolutely the strong one. So yeah, I no, I could not go through half the stuff she's gone through, a quarter of the stuff she's gone through. So yeah, no, I yeah, I don't know if I could if I could do what some of these ladies do. I'm yeah. I, I look at them in awe. Especially <laughs> with the shots and stuff. I'd be like, I've had enough now. I'm good. But it's amazing. I'm willing to bet the same women who do those shots before doing them would say the exact same thing you're saying right now, right? They would say the exact same thing, but they do it and they find that strength. They dig deep and say, I'm going to do this for our family. And just the sacrifice, the willingness to face that pain and the, the thought of that pain. I mean, guaranteed, I, I'm guessing so many of them say the same thing, but they, they do it anyways. So you find the strength you really do. I think it's when you're, when you, when you've run out of options because it re like it it people think oh well just do IVF 
it's it's usually a last resort, guys. Okay. Right. Yeah. Not something you take on lightly because you know as soon as you start looking at it a little bit, you're like, wow, this is full on. Like, I okay, let's let's see if this other thing works first. You right. know. So yeah, um, but yeah, I can see people saying the exact same thing as me and then being like, well it's our only option. So we're going to do it. And I think if you mm-hmm. feel like you have to do something, you will find some kind of strength to get through it. Um, yeah. yeah. And once you've started the ball rolling, you're like, well, I can't just stop now. Cause I've like, I've gone through all of this already. So I've got to keep going, you know, and you may hate it, it every is. single day, but you're still going to keep doing it. Cause you've already started the process. So yeah, it's such an investment, you know, and especially like with IVF, you get into it and you start investing all that time and energy and resources into doing it. Like, and that's what we did. We started with, you know, IUI and tried that a few times. And then we're like, all right, so we've already kind of dipped our toe into the infertility waters, right? And I was like, all right, I guess we just have to jump in. And the first clinic we worked with, the first doctor was like, she didn't even entertain IUI anymore. She was like, yeah, that didn't work. We're doing IVF. I was like, we, we are, we, I thought this was going to be like more of a discussion. And uh, I remember just sitting very confused, sitting next to my wife, looking at her like, are we doing this? Like, are you're cool with this? And the doctor's telling her about, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. And this shot and that shot. I'm just like, I just remember feeling very powerless in a, in a large sense, because I'm sitting here like, okay, we're just moving forward, I guess. And yes, I know like that, we want to have a living child and that this may be an option, but I was like, is this where we have to go right now? Like to your point, like this is kind of like a last resort. It seems like we're skipping to the end. And they were like, yeah, two, three IUIs didn't work. Move on. We need to do IVF. Okay. (laughs) And that's such a, that's such a difficult thing to do emotionally to say that I need help. I need help to do something that, middle school, you know, here, I guess I forgot to say where I'm from. Um, I live in the United States. I'm in Massachusetts. Here, I always joke around that, you know, the extent of our knowledge of human reproduction is limited to like middle school, high school health class, right? And from their perspective, uh, we can get pregnant from like looking at one another, let alone anything else. So, um, to then learn that I can't do something or that I need help doing something, that alone is its own loss. And that's a huge, huge portion of our trauma and grief process that for me personally, I don't think I've really started exploring until after losing our daughter. I think I was just so like head down, focused on just keep moving forward, just keep moving forward. And with every failed transfer, it was like, get up, dust myself off, keep moving forward, get up, dust myself off, keep moving forward. And just trying to be supportive for my partner that I really wasn't processing my own trauma associated with that. So not to skip forward, but looking back now, we had a transfer after losing our daughter and that transfer failed. And that's what destroyed me. Like from an infertility perspective, because I had not taken the time really to process all of those prior transfers that had failed. And then after spending so much time working with therapy, working with groups, working with my own emotions associated with losing our daughter, it finally just came up and it was like, 
wow, this is something that I, I need to spend some time working on and focusing on because it is, it's, it's incredibly traumatic to go through um, both from the, from the, um, the patient's perspective, but also from the partner's perspective as well. And we went through uh, several rounds of IUI, several rounds of IVF. Um, and I've, I've now like lost count <laughs> at how many uh, transfers we've gone through. I think we just reached 10 um, failed transfers. So, and my wife will correct me if I'm wrong. She has all of that data really like, she's great at remembering all of that. For me, it all starts getting very fuzzy. I just say for the most part, um, I remember starting this journey sometime around when I was 31 and I'm 38 now. So I feel like it spent pretty much my entire thirties going through this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy how we're just not prepared for any of this, like at all, like, mm -hmm. you know, pregnancy loss, um, infertility, like we just, there's no teaching there's nothing you know and it's not like they they need to not teach it like they could teach it like they teach yeah. us about you know car accidents and all these other horrific things they could mm -hmm. teach us about pregnancy loss they could teach us about infertility and the risks and all those things um you yeah. know but i think i think the education is just not there even in terms of like women's health we're only just mm. starting to actually do this the things to actually look into hormone health and like right whether a, a period is normal or not like you mm -hmm. know i was talking to jill and she was saying you know she's she had really painful ones and she went on the pill and you know because that's what they always tell you well you right. have periods go on the pill and yeah, yeah. and then later you realize oh no that's actually not normal there's a mm. there's a reason for that and it is right. it's just crazy and also the fact that with the partner, you know, it takes quite a long time, I think, before they actually start testing the the, mm -hmm. the husband. Right. And, you know, you'd think they test the husband at the same time as the wife, because if you're, te it, you I mean, it, it's a problem that you're both having, like, you know, you could both be involved in that issue. Um, right. So, you know, you'd think they test you at the same time, but everyone I've spoken to, they're like, oh, yeah, she went through testing first. And then, you know, after several failed, whatever it is, then then they tested me. And it's like it just. It's confusing. It is. There's a lack of education. There's a lack of training. Um, how they treat women in healthcare is shameful. And I feel like there's there's almost like a subliminal blaming that's going on. Like, oh, it must be her fault, right? And so it's it's so problematic. And I can't even talk about it from personal experience. All I can do is say from the experience I have as, as being a partner and being a supporter is like, we have, my, my wife has tried to advocate for herself so many times, um, particularly going through the loss, particularly post the loss, and she just wasn't being listened to. And it was always like, oh, you're being dramatic. Oh, you're just blowing things out of proportion. I'll say this. She has an incredibly high tolerance for pain, discomfort. So when she's in pain, like at, when she's at a five, I probably would be at a 10. So to just think that she's not being listened to by her care team is so frustrating as a partner. Because you also want to get involved and advocate too, but it's like, 
you know, like, why is it that you're just not listening to her? This is her body. And why are you treating her pretty much like everyone else? You know, I know she probably talked about being um, sent out of the hospital with the same documentation you would leave with if you had a living child. But that wasn't the case. That's not the experience. So why aren't you giving her the tools she needs to know what to expect when she gets home. And then when she does get home and say, hey, I've never been pregnant before, but this doesn't feel right to just blow her off. And it's true. I mean, just like you said, now I'm thinking about it. I didn't go for testing until later. It wasn't It wasn't immediate that I went for testing. It's immediately the the concern is, well, what's what's wrong with the female? It's like, well, that's, that's not the case. I mean, it can be that there's two factors and there's nothing wrong really it's just there there are things that we need to address right and it can be two factor infertility and that's that's exactly what our experience is yeah i've even heard where it's just it's actually um him that has the mm-hmm. the um issue and she she's actually she's she's fine like the egg there's mm-hmm. eggs there's quality everything um and yeah, because they did all the testing on her and they exhausted those options. And then they were like, oh, okay, well, maybe bring your husband in. After putting her through all of that, <laughs> then I guess we'll bring him in. And can we just agree, by the way, that the testing that women go through is a little more invasive than the testing us guys have to go through? Because, and I say that facetiously, because it's a heck of a lot more intrusive than what we have to go through. So to quickly just determine whether or not there's a male factor issue, I mean, it's pretty easy. Let's just figure that out right off the bat and then we can move on. I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions and conclusions and they may not reflect the views, opinions and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, The Joy of Sunflowers and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions or conclusions expressed.